It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Today we have a wonderful person on the show with an account called Your Joyologist. Her name is Trisha. And Trisha, when I opened up your Instagram account just now, I saw two posts that jumped right out at me. And it's so interesting. It kind of reminds me of... I did one of these the other day. I don't know if there's like a term for them. But when a bunch of words are mixed into almost like a crossword puzzle... I guess it is a crossword puzzle style. I saw one of these the other day and they're like, the first three words that you see are the words that will represent the beginning of 2021, right? And so I'm looking at this and, and words start popping up at me and I'm thinking, do these really resonate with me? I don't know. But when I looked at your Instagram, there were two posts that really jumped out. And I definitely think that these represent kind of the place that I'm at <laughs> and something that really appeals to me as well as somebody, a lot of other people based on the likes that you're getting on this post. One of them said, and this is the one that had a lot of likes on it, which is, it's pretty much almost always never about you. <laughs> and the other one was, why do I assume people are going to reject me before they even do? And that one actually surprisingly had a lot less likes, but I feel like they're very similar. And I immediately thought, that's a great question. Like, why do I assume people are going to reject me before they even do? And I think that's a lot of this not enoughness that we talk about so often on this show. And I thought that that was a really interesting point to start on. So it sounds like the rejection part of this came from a podcast, right? And you were talking with Mary... How do you pronounce her last name? Mary Morantz. Yeah, that was... Yes from her yeah when she was a guest on my podcast one of the quotes i pulled from that episode when i pulled it because yeah i was like i'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to resonate with that yeah i mean do you think that people resonate it's funny isn't it sometimes on instagram like i mean this is actually kind of ties into this exact quote here it's like we can sometimes interpret like what people think of us or how successful we are based on whether or not somebody likes our post and when I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why aren't more people resonating with this? But then again, it could be like the algorithm or something. It's so fascinating when uh, you put something up and like somehow it doesn't reach people. That doesn't mean that they don't like it. That just means that they didn't see it in the algorithm. No, totally. And when I do share the podcast quotes, I generally am not thinking about I don't always pay attention to, but there is the like, oh, the time of day, I notice I get more whatever attention and stuff like that. And a lot of times when I'm share those podcast quotes, I'm I'm doing it just like Monday because that's when the episodes come out and it could be 10 a.m., it could be noon, it could be two, just like when I remember basically. So I don't know, but I feel like anytime I post a quote from a podcast, no matter how good the quote is, it never gets as much as anything else. And I don't know if it's because again, like the time I'm giving it. So I based on the fact that that other post that you shared about it not being about me, I've shared that post at least three or four times now over the last whenever. I don't remember the first time I wrote it and shared it, but that one always gets a crazy amount of likes. <laughs> and I don't know, again, I don't think I'm putting that one at a certain time, but I've basically released 
I have no fucking clue what's going to resonate. Basically, I sometimes will think very much, oh, this I read post today and I was like, this people are going to love this. Meh. I don't know. I might have been I posted it at an off time because I was so in my body like people are going to love this one. But I don't know. I think I posted it at a downtime. So it's not getting that much like so I've pretty much let go of that comparing of how amazing I think a post is going to resonate with people based on the amount of likes it gets that it really means absolutely nothing. (laughs) For sure. And it's so humbling, isn't it? Like how we can think that something's going to do really well and then it doesn't do well. And you think, okay, well, maybe I'm not right about that. Or maybe you're right. It's just an algorithm thing. And I think that's part of what makes Instagram such an interesting platform specifically. Certainly, this can happen on other platforms like Facebook and TikTok if you use it or whatever else. You post something and and you think it's going to do really well. And it doesn't. And it's easy to take that very personally and feel defeated by that. And then sometimes you just have to keep going or not give a fuck like you're saying. Yeah, going back to the post that it's usually not about me. It doesn't even have to do with whether the post is like that moving or anything. But yeah, I basically try to live by the process of like one person. If I feel called to share something and one person says, I needed this, thank you so much. That's it. That's awesome. And even just having one person like it or share it, you know, like we like unvalue people. Like, you know, it's like they're important only if there's lots of them, but they're all singular people. (laughs) I was like, I needed to post this. One person read it and liked it. That's amazing. That is amazing that we can think of something and put it out there. Yeah. And it's like that idea of if 30 people were in a room with you, it would seem like a lot of people. But if you get 30 likes on an Instagram post, depending on the size of your audience, you might not think that that's very many people. And it's just continuously fascinating to me how our brains work in this sense of we don't get as many likes as we want, or we get criticism, or we don't get the feedback. And I think the more that you post online, the more you can start to release the any expectation and concern with it. And you really have to build up a lot of self-worth. And, and I just want to go on record to say that I loved that post about trying not to assume people are going to reject you. And I think that's a super fascinating thing to discuss. Like, I mean, what did you get into in your podcast? We should definitely link to this in our in our show notes so that people can go listen to that episode. But I'd love a little summary of it. Yeah. So that was her memoir. I believe it's called Dirt. And I forget the name of the subtitle had had just come out. And but a lot of her story, her life story and the story he was she was living out in her life was because she was raised in a single wide trailer that, yeah, she was not enough that this. So she was like going through her whole life, you know, and in many ways, she even like she went to Harvard, like Harvard Law School and stuff like did all these things for the accomplishment, but just like, you know, sort of closed herself off from people and was just like afraid people were going to make fun of her from West Virginia and living in a single wide trailer without them even knowing it. So like just like the layers of protection she had and how she was living out her life based on already being afraid of what other people would think of people rejecting her without even giving them a chance. And then when she finally started to open up and telling people her entire story, that's when all of a sudden people really like her life changed and her relationships changed. And she was able to connect with more people. And so many people were like, oh, I came from this background and that, you know, but she was trying to hide her story thinking she would be rejected. But when she finally started sharing it is when like everything changed in her life. I think this is an interesting story, Trisha, because it reminds me of a lot of people in different backgrounds from musical artists, actors, athletes, entrepreneurs, 
digging into some of their backstories, it's not a rule, but I find it more common than I would have thought years ago that people who are extremely high achievers came from backgrounds where there was either poverty or some kind of major family trauma or something that they would say their desire to succeed in their chosen field was driven by this, not just humble beginnings beyond that, more like trying to overcompensate through success or wealth or fame or notoriety. Will Smith summed it up really great. I saw an interview with Will Smith last year. He said, there's no amount of success that's going to overcome your trauma. Like You can't heal your trauma through success. And I don't know if that was the case with her per se, but I've heard versions of Will Smith said from really, really high achievers, rich people, successful people, is they have all these levels of worldly materialistic status, but they're still dealing with sadness, depression, drug abuse, addiction. And I think it's an interesting narrative to think about, yeah, if I just go to Harvard, if I just make it to the NBA, if I just sell a million records, if I make it on an ABC TV show, we could have a trillion different examples. On the other side of that, there's so many tales of people getting to those levels of achievement and being like, Ugh, yeah, I actually still don't feel like I'm enough. I actually still feel like a piece of shit. I actually am still believing the story of my not enoughness, even though I have all these material worldly trappings. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I believe, Jason, that's pretty much why I do everything I do. And that that's the point of my podcast and being claim it is that I feel that so often we're putting our feelings outside of ourselves. I'll feel enough once I lose the weight, once I get this job, once I can afford, you know, this purse, once I'm in this type of relationship, once I have kids, once I live there. And we're constantly putting feelings outside of ourselves. Once I have this, I will feel that. But then we just keep chasing it. And so that I'm saying it's up to us to claim our worth, our value, our success, our fulfillment, our enoughness every day, sometimes every moment of the day. And that doesn't mean you can't want more, but it's just like looking at what's motivating you to go after things. And I mean, and, and that came from working with people who had it all, that I was touring the world as a sound engineer, working for icons and singer-songwriters and these people that were selling out concerts around the world and had everything they could dream of, and they still were not happy. They still had doubts, fears, struggles, shame, guilt, all of it. And so that's the main reason I do, well, that, and then when my father passed away, suddenly that made me shake up and be like, I have to do something to change people's lives. Like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm with these people that are living their freaking biggest dreams. I'm living my dream, doing what I always wanted to do. But I, these people are really living their dreams and they honestly look miserable. That's ridiculous. <laughs> How do we reconcile that though? I mean, on the one hand, there's so much rhetoric in the conscious community, self-help community, wellness. I don't even know what the fuck to even call what we're in anymore. Whatever group of humans we're in that are trying to, I think at the core, better the world, better ourselves, or that's not even a good word. I don't know what we're doing anymore. The thing we're doing, okay, that there's rhetoric about don't give up on your dreams, you know, persistence and determination, keep going, keep striving. You know, even as kids were conditioned with, I remember anytime somebody would win the Super Bowl, they'd play the song, right? You know, when you wish upon a star and anything your heart desires will come to you. But you have this experience where you're touring with world class musicians in knowing these people with incredible fame and wealth who achieved the kind of dreams that people are literally killing themselves to try and achieve, right? But they're there and they're still unfulfilled and or not feeling joyful and wondering, like, sort of, is this all there is? 
that's kind of frightening in a way because on the one hand, we're taught and conditioned to chase our dreams. And that's almost one of the most, I don't even know, like one of the values that society holds in the highest regard. Keep chasing your dreams, keep going for it. But then on the other hand, you have this experience of meeting people who have achieved beyond their wildest dreams and they're unfulfilled. It's almost, for lack of a better word, kind of schizophrenic in a way. Like, how do you reconcile that? Like, what do you glean from that? Like, go chase it. But then when you get there, you're like, eh, is this it? Well, so not for everybody and not all the time, but a lot of times the problem is that what happens is once you get that thing that you want, that you're not enjoying it, that you're still then stuck in comparison. What's going to be next? What should I do? And there's a lot of other people around you, pressuring you in different ways. And you don't even necessarily, it's being a pressure, but just like, oh, what's next? What's the next this? What are you going to do about that? Like, there's a lot going on for anybody who has anything of success, right? And that we put pressure on ourselves that like, okay, you did it. You wrote the song You that got a lot of attention. You did this. You sold out the thing. That it's usually then, well, what's next? That people are not usually celebrating themselves and their wins. There's this pressure of doing more, doing better. What can I do next? And then again, like I said, comparing to other people that might be in a similar place or, oh, I want to be at this person's stature. And then, okay, what about this person's? What about this person? That it's like so often we're focused on other people and looking outside of ourselves instead of looking in and seeing like, what do I want? And that's, you know, like that's why I'm writing my first book about eliminating the word should from my life and how impactful that was. But what I see is we're so often looking outside of ourselves and comparing ourselves. And it's all a lot based on shoulds. And instead, if we can look in and see, well, what do I want? What am I feeling? I'm allowed to celebrate myself and acknowledge of myself. We're also not taught that. We're not really taught. Like it's wrong to be proud of yourself, to celebrate yourself. Like it's lazy to like live out a dream and then just enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're taught. We're not taught to like savor our successes. We're taught more, more, better, better, keep going. That's so true. I mean, that's actually an interesting way of putting it too, because we talk a lot about how there, it doesn't seem like we ever feel enough or, you know, no matter how hard we work or try, like there's always another level beyond that. And wouldn't it be interesting if it was like, hey, when you get to this place, like, why don't you just step back and enjoy it for a while and savor that and spend time with your family and do the things that you really love? And I don't think that that messaging is really out there. Like, I think we are kind of encouraged to take vacations as if like a two week vacation is going to like satisfy us enough for the whole year or get excited about buying a big house without realizing like how much money it actually costs to not only purchase that house, but maintain it and how much of a headache having a fancy house can be and how many employees you might need to like manage it and make sure that it looks pretty all the time. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it feels endless. And the amount of people that Jason and I have met in our lives that really never seem satisfied, never seem relaxed, never feel content. And it almost seems like the people that are the most content are those that have the least amount going on, the least amount of money, or just got to this a certain point where they're like, I'm so burnt out. I don't want to do anything anymore because I don't feel like I can. And so we kind of have to be pushed to these extremes in, e- in order to even appreciate what we have or just to let it all go and not really care anymore about the striving. 
Yeah, it's totally the truth. It is. And I had, I can't remember Miranda, I'm forgetting her name last, someone else that I had on my podcast. And she does a lot about like minimalism. And she like had a family with three kids and they had their dream house in Texas, big house, big land, you know, a lot of land, thought they would live there forever. And then he got a job offer back in Virginia and they decided to move into like a two bedroom with three kids. And like, they eventually then bought a like three bedroom, whatever, but it's still like, it's a small house. And, but I mean, she does amazing things, but like, it was an interesting conversation too of like, yeah, we're taught like, and how much like people in her life are like, what are you doing? Like living in a small house? Is everything okay? Like it wasn't even about money or anything, but like the judgment we receive and the confusion if we do. And several times in my life too, I would work because I, I would be on tour and work for long periods of time, like on the tour and then would be done instead of going to get work right away. I would just like enjoy time off like months. And that was so hard for people to wrap their heads around. Like, what are you doing? But what do you do every day? So like, what are you going to do next? Aren't you worried? Like, which and it was like, I don't know. It is a risk of when will I get money? And like, people were so frightened by the fact of taking time off and just like to rest, to recover, to enjoy my life, to like, I don't know, I just want to wake up and like go to the farmer's market and do yoga and maybe like I'll write something, maybe not. It's just like, we know, we're taught like, what's wrong? If you moved into a smaller house, is something wrong? Is everything okay? It also reminds me of something I was thinking about earlier today, which is that we think that there's something wrong with somebody who's not like in a relationship or doesn't have children or like doesn't do all of these things that we've been kind of programmed to do like, oh, like, I feel bad for you because you haven't met your soulmate yet as if like we can't enjoy life without these stereotypical things, the house, the husband or wife or whatever partner in our lives and the children. It's like we have all these boxes we're supposed to check off as if once we have completed all of them that then we'll feel satisfied <laughs> I mean, truly, it's you're bullshit. It's yeah, exactly. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's it's a perfect like kind of segue, Trisha, because I've known you for almost a decade, and we can get into the backstory because it it weaves into some questions I want to ask. But when you and I met through really, you know, the Cafe Gratitude community with Rylan and Molly and John and Carrie and that whole world from the Bay Area to L.A., you and I kind of had this interweaving of worlds, and we would see each other at gathering Shabbat dinners at Trudy Green's house and, and all those things. But I've seen you go from a lot of iterations in your life and career and going from a, a single woman to having a husband, having kids, having well, a house. I'm not you, married, but... Oh, oh, you're, oh you're not? No. Oh, okay. Well, baby daddy slash partner then. I don't want to throw labels out then. I just put my foot in my mouth. That is the taste of my toenail. That's again, people then jump to that conclusion. And as I just did, as I just did. You're in a partnership, you're in a committed partnership, you're in a house, you have children, you're in a very different, I suppose, phase of life or stage of life than when you and I met a decade ago. Having these things, though, do you find that your, I don't know, I guess your joy quotient, your fulfillment, your sense of who you are has changed at all? Is it different? Is it, one could look at you from the outside and go, yay, Trisha's got all these boxes checked now. But what does that actually mean? And if you reflect on it, yeah, have things changed in terms of your joint fulfillment at all? Is it different? Is that even a valid question? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's totally a valid question. And it made me like, yeah, I'm definitely like thinking. I mean, I'm going to say no, but also yes, but like no, because I mean, yeah, I had always dreamed of having kids. I hadn't dreamed of being married, which is why I'm not married now. <laughs> but um, I had always wanted to have kids. And so that was like, 
yeah, I checked some boxes there for me. That was like a big dream. But also before I had kids, I fucking loved my life and I did what I wanted and I didn't have any, you know, I could travel whenever I wanted and I didn't have anything holding me back. And now I have kids and oh my God, they bring me so much joy. So it's like same but different. And so I 1000% would never tell somebody like they have to have kids and like you don't understand the level of joy. Like, yeah, you might not understand that, but like I'm not telling you you're not going to have joy if you don't have kids. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of pain in the ass with having kids, <laughs> but I love them dearly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like these stupid boxes that we feel like we have to check and pressure other people into checking. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't have to do have anything to do with, yeah, your levels of feeling joy or successful or worthy or enough. I feel a sort of like a permutation of this conversation. And I'm curious In your cosmology as a joyologist, one of the things that I love is having been the recipient of so many of your your wonderful creations in the world, your mugs, your notepads. You just sent me this wonderful journal that I'm so excited to jump into. And we will link to Trisha's website, all of her wonderful products in our show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We'll have all the juju and all the goodness for you guys to stalk and support Trisha as you desire. But on that note, Trisha, you know, with affirmations and positive self-talk and really being mindful of the power of language, I feel like kind of a slippery slope there with spiritual bypassing and toxic positivity, right? In the sense that through social media or being in the conscious community, a spiritual community, there's a lot of like, no, 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 you know, tell yourself you're amazing. Tell yourself you're worthy, even though you could be feeling like a piece of shit. What's the balance between I feel sometimes the pressure to be positive, right? Or for me, it was this thing for years of, oh, you know, Jason's the life of the party. He's always bringing laughter. He's always entertaining people. He's always infusing the room with joyfulness. And I realized after years of doing that, I felt so much pressure to be that person that if I showed up and I was glum or depressed or off, people would be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is everything okay? What's wrong? And I think I'm just now starting to train myself as just like, come as you are. Like if I'm depressed or sad or despondent or confused, I don't have to be fucking joyful all the time. And I'm laughing saying this to the joyologist. I don't have to be fucking joyful all the time. But I guess my question is, what is this balance between positive self-talk, affirmations, and just if you're pissed or you're sad or you're lonely or depressed, just fucking be it. What is that balance or what's the middle ground between all this? Yeah. I mean, and that's, I 100% agree. Yeah, it's ridiculous to think you have to be joyful all the time. Like that is a ridiculous assumption that I think that I've always actually, I don't even like like the term being positive. I don't like looking at things with the glass half full. I don't like just turn your frown upside down. I hate all that stuff. So it is funny. But I mean, that's what a lot of my stuff is actually more about in the last couple of years too, is that I realized some of my affirmations could have been a little bit toxic positivity in the past. So I've definitely transformed that. But also, I have pretty much always, who knows, there was probably not, probably not at the beginning, but I think so, of sharing, for me, the real thing with affirmations and like positive thinking and wanting the best for yourself, that the only way to actually do that is to face the real thoughts and feelings that you're having. If you just try to convince yourself, I am enough, I am worthy of everything, I am successful, whatever, but in your head, you're like so doubtful, you're so afraid, you so feel unworthy and unloved, and like 
which is most of us. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't have those feelings? And it's just bullshit to act like everybody else is walking around that's great and like, let me just fake it. So for me, it's a lot about noticing the thoughts and feelings I'm having, like being really conscious of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and not that any of it's wrong, but just simply by paying attention to it, you also create so much compassion for yourself. But that's where my affirmations come from is usually what is, I have, oh, I have this doubt. I'm struggling right now with feeling like people don't care about me. So what do I want to believe? I want to believe that I am loved. I am supported. I am worthy of love. So then stepping into that. But if you're struggling with that, then that's why I love the language of tapping. Are you familiar with EFT tapping? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I don't do it that much, but I'm really good friends with Jessica Ortner of The Tapping Solution. And I just love the language of it. It's like, even though, you know, I'm struggling with my worthiness, I still this, like it's naming, like they're using the language of even though, so naming the thing you're struggling with, even though I'm so stressed about money this month, I know that I'm safe. You know, like it doesn't even have to be like, I know that money is coming to me with ease because sure, you can tell yourself those money abundance things and that might work, or it just could just even be like, I am safe. (laughs) I am taken care of that. So I love that languaging. But I think for me, like the big part is it's like, it's not just like everything be just joyful, be happy, think positive. It's tune into what you're actually thinking and feeling, getting clear with yourself, being compassionate with yourself, and then asking yourself, what do I want to believe? How do I want to feel? And that's, yeah, in the daily journal thing that I just sent you, the new daily intentions, connection, reflection journal, there is three I am statements are the start. But I also like say at the beginning where I give the example, those could be calling yourself into what you want for your future, or it could be an affirming yourself. So it could be, I am debt free. It's like, if that's something like you're struggling with, I am debt free. And then by you saying that, I'm hoping it'll trigger you into, okay, so what am I going to do to be debt free? (laughs) Like, let me think of some action steps for that or I am worthy, or I am a podcast host, or I'm a best-selling author. Like I was writing, I'm a best-selling author for a couple years. And then I would be like every day. So if I'm an author, I guess I need to like write a book proposal. (laughs) Right. So, but it like allowed me to think about what do I want for myself and like give myself that space. What do I want to believe about myself? And then like starting to warm it up. And then another part of it is then choosing how do I want to feel today? I want to feel calm. I want to feel at ease. I want to feel empowered. And just even by, again, like naming the feeling, it can start to get you to pay attention to, well, how do I feel? Because we're so used to, I'm guessing you guys are now used to it too, to like now paying attention to feelings and thoughts. But like, I don't think a lot of people are actually aware of how they feel regularly. For sure. And isn't that kind of amazing? (laughs) But then I look back on all the different stages of awareness that I've had in my life. And it's just an ongoing growth process. And now that I've become more aware, I'm amazed at the times that I wasn't as aware, right? And I bet you in the future, I'll feel the same way about my present self right now, right? And um, I'm right along with you. You know, Jason, I've talked about this in a bunch of episodes, how There's so many incredible practices literally at our fingertips and pun intended when we're talking about tapping because you can tune into something that simple and that powerful. And yet I forget about it. Like until you brought this up, Trisha, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about tapping. And I also have the app that Jessica and her brother created. 
And it's absolutely amazing. And you literally go to your phone and it tells you where to tap on your body and what to say. And it plays music. It's like, how much easier could this get? And yet it's easy to just get caught up in life and forget about all these amazing things that we have. Yeah, totally. And that, yeah, I was going to mention the app too, which is free. I think you have to like maybe pay for other things, but like it's free, the tapping solution app and it's right on your phone. But yeah. And since I mentioned how many people aren't aware of how they're feeling, I've noticed, you know, I am so aware, but like one easy trick to do is just regularly ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Like choosing how you want to feel, but like maybe it's like, oh, every time I go to take a drink of water, every time I sit down for a meal, like, because I think we need regular check-in points too, because we'll forget. So if you're not used to paying attention to how you feel and what you're thinking, then just creating, how am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Oh, I'm feeling stressed. Oh, I think I'm actually feeling peaceful. So just start asking yourself throughout the day, what am I feeling? One of my favorite, I don't know, is it a catchphrase? One of my favorite Trisha-isms, Joyologisms, that sounded weird. Trisha-isms, we'll go with Trisha-isms, is on my favorite mug, which is fuck the shoulds, do the wants. And I've been imbibing many wonderful tonics and beverages from that mug for many years. Thank you, Trisha. Which I believe, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal this. Are we allowed to talk about your book or is it mum? No, we can totally talk about it. That's also the title of your new book, isn't it? F the shoulds, do the wants. Yeah, I'm going with just F. F the shoulds. Not E-F-F, just the letter F. F the shoulds, do the wants is the title. Okay, so I want to break this down for a second because prior to having you on, I realized in sort of like word etymology geekery, I didn't actually know what the word should meant. I mean, in colloquialism and everyday use, yes, I, I understand how should is referenced, but the origin of the word should, I wanted to break it down and I have a reason for this. So I did a little digging and apparently the word should derives from Old English, which is seal, S-C-E-A-L, which means to owe. It carries a sense of obligation or necessity. And in the context of wants versus shoulds, right? And I've been really it's interesting. Sometimes I'll look at that mug and I'll be like, yeah, fuck the shoulds. Oh, but I agreed to this thing to do and I've got this stuff on my to-do list and oh shit, I should keep my word, but I don't really want to do it. Is it a should? It's not really a want, but I don't really want to break my word to this person because that'd be a breach in integrity. Fuck, I'll do it. And I feel like in my mind, I get so extreme sometimes in the sense that, yeah, like I'm going to take Trish's advice and I'm only going to do the wants and I'm going to destroy all the shoulds in my life. But then I get back to this point of like, is it even possible? Because I have a business partner, I have family, I have perceived obligations, which I could lump into the should category. So I guess my question is, is it even possible to eliminate the shoulds in our life? Or is there a method you would recommend for somehow, I don't know, alchemizing or transmuting shoulds into wants? Like, how do we handle this in our lives? Because I feel like there's a lot of shoulds in my life, and I can't seem to break away from shoulds completely. That's why I'm writing you a 16-chapter book <laughs> in <laughs> April 2022. <laughs> but yes, there are so many, obviously, chapters on the deep implications of the word should. And it's so deep into our language and mentality that most of the time people don't even realize that they're using it, or they don't really pay attention to why they're doing the things that they're doing. You know, it's just like, that's what we do. That's what this article told me. Oh, you want to start a podcast? These are the five steps you should follow. You should meditate, whatever. And so for me, I did 
take the word out of my vocabulary. Well, obviously I just said it, but (laughs) over and over, but I usually use it only as an example. In 2008, when my father passed away, I suddenly got this internal message, like you're done with the word should. And it honestly really made no fucking sense to me because I was working as a live sound engineer at 19, touring the world. Like, oh, I have a month off. Let me go to Bali. Like I was not someone that lived a life of shoulds. So I was a little confused by this inner (laughs) awakening, but I was like, okay, I'm done with the word shoulds. And I really stuck with it. I wouldn't let the word come out of my mouth. And it was mind-blowing how often the shoulds showed up. And still over 10 years later, how much they still show up every day for someone who like eliminated the word, but I can still feel the shoulds every single day about, yeah, whatever it is. I have this obligation. I said I was going to do this, but now I don't want to. So what should I do? (laughs) And then be like, what do I want to do? But yeah, I believe you're probably alluding to what I think is chapter nine, but I really don't want to. (laughs) And there's also, one is like integrity chapter. But for me, it's always looking at the why. So like I like to give the example of I do not like to clean or like to do the dishes. But obviously, unless I can pay for someone to come do all of that all the time, which is currently not in my budget. And with having kids also, it's just the house is always a disaster. So cleaning never feels like a want for me. But so then I ask myself, why would I want to do this? That's one of the things I ask myself. And then how will I feel once it's done? And so those allow me to change from a should to a want. It's basically by seeing everything that shows up to you as a should that you have a choice. And so it doesn't mean you're automatically going to say no to it and the F the should. It could be transforming it into a want. I should leave early. Well, do I want to leave early? No, I don't want to even go. Well, yeah, actually, I do want to go because I love them. And I said I was going to show up for them. What am I talking about? We can't go anywhere right now. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm using an old example. <laughs> like, wait, we're not meeting anybody anywhere. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like for the virtual call or whatever. So it's just like seeing everything as a choice and it feels so much more freeing and empowering is like when you're saying of like, oh, you know, when an obligation or something comes up or maybe originally you did want to do it. You said, yes, you wanted to. And now that it's here, oh, I'm so tired and they've got this and that. So weighing it out and also seeing it's your choice. And like, it might not be the end of the world if you canceled. Like, I don't know how many times people cancel on me and I'm like, thank you. <gasps> yes, I'm so, I was hoping you would cancel. <laughs> You know, so it's all. Oh, I know. (laughs) I can really relate to that. But if you're showing up honestly and from integrity and like saying them, hey, when I said yes, I would, but now I'm feeling this. Is that okay? And like, so also, like, how can you communicate in that way? But also, like I said, most of the times it's just like, no, I do want to go. That you're able to get yourself into a place of want. But so often we feel like things are should, and then we feel like we're resentful that we're doing it, or it's not our choice. We're just being drugged through life, doing all of these shoulds but everything is a choice. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting knowing the history of how you and Jason met each other because one of the first people that brought this subject matter to my attention was Molly. Is her last name Engelhart as well? Yes. So I was interviewing her when she had first opened up Kind Cream back before I think Sage was even open. And I think I still have the video of it. So I'll link to it in our show notes. And for anyone who's listening to our podcast and has not visited our website, our show notes are at wellevator.com, which is spelled 
W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section of our website, you'll find this episode, which is fully transcribed for you and has resources, everything we're mentioning. And, and in there, you'll find this video I did probably back, I don't know, like 2009 or 10, I, I guess, whenever Kind Cream was open. And in that video, Molly says that one of the big lessons in her life was around shoulds. And she said she was raised by her parents to not should on each other. And she's like, if you don't should on me, then I won't should on you. And the way that she phrased it was like life-changing for me because I'd never heard anyone say that before. And I think the context was because at the time she had, and maybe she still does, but she had honey and some of her ice creams. And there, it was like this debate about like, should or shouldn't she have fully vegan ice cream, you know? And it was like this whole controversy. I don't know if you guys remember this, but vegans love to, to nitpick and uh, find all the things that are wrong with food for better or for worse. And uh, honey was like a huge topic back then with the raw food movement. Anyways, that to me was incredibly helpful. And it's an amazing example of how like one person can say something to you and that one line will stick with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I love Molly. She's such a badass. <laughs> oh, for sure. I felt the same way. And this video too. I mean, she's always been that way. And you see her in this video of like, she just doesn't care what other people think, you know? And like, you could look at that and think, oh, like, what a bitch. Like, she's just doing whatever she wants. And she doesn't care if she's pissing people off. Or you could look at that and think, wow, that's so inspiring. Kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. It's like, you're just going to do what you believe you should do. Like, you're going to post on Instagram because your gut's saying that this is what you should post. You're going to make the no, food that you want. because my gut says what I want to post. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See? It's so fascinating too, Trisha, like when you bring this up, the reminder of conscious languaging and how it's hard to even be aware of what we're saying because you caught me saying that. I'm so used to saying it that way that I don't even feel the awareness around some words. And Jason and I are incredibly passionate about conscious languaging. So this episode is going to make a big impact on me so I can practice not using should as much because I absolutely agree, but I'm out of practice with being careful about saying it. Yeah. I mean, and that's why the like, what I'm saying in the book is to actually eliminate not just the shoulds from your life, but the actual word. And because of that, I actually had a lot of interest from a lot of different publishers, but then in the end they would be like, I don't know, because it's just about this word, but it's about so much more because obviously there's 16 chapters and going deep into like what this word represents. But like, it was just interesting to see like the excitement and then also like, well, we don't really know. Like, it's just about a word. And I'm like, well, it is, but it isn't. Like I'm using one word. If you just focus on one word, you're going to end up being so mindful of everything because that's the only thing that I can figure out what makes me so mindful of how what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I'm saying is because I, 12 years ago, decided to stop saying this one word. And it made me so mindful of what I was thinking, doing, believing, and why. Just from tuning into this one word, because it runs our fucking lives. To me, I want to take a, like, a little bit deeper dive and maybe a little bit of a preview of your book in the sense that this word being as layered and deep and 
meaningful as it is, what it brings up for me is in examining the word should for myself, I think that it's usually been tethered to a sense of people pleasing, to a sense of I have a duty to fulfill someone's expectation of me. But a layer deeper than that is almost like if I don't do this should, then perhaps underneath the people pleasing, underneath the idea of fulfilling someone's expectation of, oh, there's Jason, he's the entertainer, he's joyful, he's whatever, that I'm going to risk rejection, disapproval, being ignored, which is something that we talk about on the podcast, the dual basic urges, that on on the one side, human beings' most conditioned human behavior is trying to avoid rejection, disapproval, being ignored, being cast out by the tribe, or trying to get approval, attention, significance, importance. And so like for me, underneath should, if I really look at it, Trisha, both you and Whitney's feedback on this, of underneath the shoulds in our personal, I guess, psychology or cosmology, looking at the shit that's really motivating it, like, if I don't do this, I might get reprimanded. If I don't do this, this person might reject me. If I don't do this, maybe I won't get the carrot of the money or the approval or the fame that I think is on the other side of it. Like, for me, that's really what's entangled in those shoulds. 1000%. And that's what it is. Every time you have to work around a should or you choose to work around a should, intentional languaging, <laughs> that you have to face yourself. And what is it that I'm really saying and believing? Why am I doing this? That it's like, and it's scary. It's scary every time to then, because you're putting yourself into these fears of not being enough, not living up to someone else's expectation, not living up to your own expectation of being judged. Because yeah, we're so like craving, loving to be loved, to be accepted, to be seen. And at the same time though, like, yeah, the fear of being rejected, like you said, So then we're just like stuck in this like weird place where we're not really living. We're not really being ourselves because we're afraid of what would happen if we were to do that. And it's so fucked up. But that's what we're doing all day long. And so by just looking at this one word, it's kind of like I like to describe it as like a speed bump that it makes you slow down and think about what am I saying? Why am I saying this? Why am I going to reach out to this person? Why do I want their approval? What does this mean? Like it gives you a little bit of a speed bump because we're just so fastly going through life and just going through the motions of the shoulds of what we were taught to do and be and say and look like that we rarely slow down and assess it. So I'm just saying, just look at one word and it's going to show you a whole lot. And it's going to be challenging. (laughs) I'm not like it's easy. I'm like, again, that's why there's 16 chapters, but it is like, you know, and the biggest one and one of the biggest things I like shining a light on is like, we're so often this fear of being judged. What will people think of me? If I say this, if I say no, if I make a request, if I change my mind, if I whatever, if I wear this outfit, if I decide I don't need to lose 10 pounds, if I decide I don't want to be vegan anymore, whatever it is, what will people think of me? And we're so often worried about what would other people think of us. But the reality is, is that we're just judging ourselves all day long. We are stuck in our own fears, like our own judgments of ourselves. The fear of being judged is just us living in our own judgments of ourselves. Because usually, like, oftentimes we're not even putting it out there. We're just living into this fear of being judged. And so, yeah, and I had huge breakthroughs with that a couple different times. And then I got like, I'm still like alone in my apartment right now. 
nobody's judging me. These are my own thoughts. So that means these are my own judgments. Do I really believe that about myself? Is that really what I want to believe? Shit. And, you know, and a big lesson I've learned is that a judgment can only have power over you if you believe it to be true. So that means whether someone is like actively judging you, like you're a terrible person because you did this or, or you're just again living in this fear of being judged. It sucks when someone judges you, but it really can never have a hold over you, a weight on you, unless you too believe that to be true about yourself. And you also, again, that just gives you a magnifying glass to then look at that, to do work on yourself, to heal that. But by confronting those thoughts and feelings about yourself, you get to do work. And it's like you get to heal, you get to recover, you get to free yourself. But it's usually just ourselves that are judging us. This is so interesting because one of the things that I, uh, wrestle with, I guess, for lack of a better term. And Whitney, I'd love your input on this too, as I port this question out there, is we talk a lot about affirmations and deprogramming, reprogramming our brain, you know, neuroplasticity on this podcast. We talk about trauma, depression, spiritual healing, psychology, therapy. I mean, we cover a lot of territory. And between the three of us, certainly we have danced around and swarmed around a lot of trainings and seminars and teachers and mentors and the whole damn enchilada, right, of, I suppose, healing and consciousness and the things we're discussing. For me, a roadblock that I noticed for myself, especially dealing with my own self-judgment and when I was diagnosed with clinical depression and my own mental health and really taking a good look at one of the factors that I feel has contributed to my mental health struggles, which is repetitive incessant self-judgment and believing it, right? Needing to unravel that and really, you know, reprogram myself in that way. But I've entered a lot of healing processes in my life of thinking, if I just do X, Y, and Z, if I work with this therapist and do the EFT and take the Tony Robbins course and do this person and do the affirmations and use this journal and douse myself in Sacha Inchi oil and put goji berries up my ass and whatever the fuck, then I'll quote, be finally free of this. I'll be healed. What I've noticed with certain things about myself is I don't know that there's necessarily like an end point of I'm healed from this thing or free of it forever as much as it is I have new tools or methodologies or frameworks to deal with it rather than this is the end point, I'm going to be healed and free from it forever. How do you both feel about that conversation? Because I feel sometimes in our community, things are framed that way of just do this, 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 and this, and then you'll be healed from it. You'll be free from it forever. Is that even possible? I think absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I mean, I would agree too. And it's it's interesting now because I start to cringe when I see content like that. I was going through a variety of Instagram accounts that from amazing people. Like I'm trying not to be judgmental about it, but it's more that it doesn't resonate with me. And I was just going through account after account and just seeing people say the same things over and over again, the same, if you just do this, then you'll get that. It's like this formulaic approach to life that I think is also well-meaning, but is there a lot of consciousness in it, right? And it's like this kind of cliche perspective we have now that we've also talked about a ton on the podcast is how... People will say, if you just follow my formula, you'll get rich. When really the person that's teaching you is getting rich off of telling you that you're going to get rich after t- af- because of taking their course. And it's almost like this 
multi-level marketing strategy or something. Like we're just going to have to have this endless chain of people trying to teach one another how to get wealthy or teach one another to get healthy or teach one another to find more joy. And we're all just kind of saying the same things and maybe profiting or benefiting off of each other. And is it really helping? I think that's such a, a big question, Jason. And Trisha, I'm like so curious because your work, I'm sure in your podcast, you come across people that with that approach and again, probably very well-meaning. But what is your perspective on it? How do you feel about somebody who's trying to present a formula, I suppose? And, and to piggyback on Jason's question there about, is there really ever an answer? Does any of it actually work in the way that that person might be positioning it? No, I think all of that, do this, you'll get that is so, it's just such bullshit. And it's just creating more self-hatred and more self-loathing and more people feeling like they're not enough. Because if they do whatever, whether it's a, you do these five steps and you make money or, oh, just meditation will cure everything. I pick on meditation a lot. I think like it does help a lot, but it just, again, <laughs> I think that you can feel, it feels like another should. Oh, so I should meditate and I didn't. So maybe I should meditate longer. Maybe I should do trends in meta. This person has, whatever has this, like we're constantly comparing ourselves and making ourselves wrong. And I am, again, that's another point of my podcast and why I go through people's journeys is that I'm like telling people, look, and with the now that I, I'm clear with everybody, no, you're not, there's no one has ever come on with me some formula or whatever, because I don't do that bullshit. Like people try to pitch me in, in a certain way. I'm like, I oh, will come on and talk about that. And I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> like, I find you interesting. So I'll have you on maybe, but I'm like, no, like you're not, this isn't what we're talking about. The top five ways to do this or how to heal yourself from that. Like, I'm going to talk about your journey. Okay. So how did you heal yourself? And do you still, what do you still struggle with? Because we're all humans. And that's another thing that I try to be a big voice for is that I think that we're setting ourselves up for so much like more, like I said, self-hatred and self-harm and being so mean to ourselves. When it acts like if we do all of these things, then we're going to be good. There's nothing that's going to protect us from grief, from loss, from harm, from shitty stuff happening. And to believe that if I just eat this certain way and I exercise and I meditate and I do all these conferences, I'm going to be good. You're just lying to yourself and creating more like you're just going to keep feeling bad about yourself and lying to yourself. Like, that's why I am trying to always be like, no, feel your feelings. You can have grief and joy. And also like people can feel like, oh, no, if I just suffered a loss, but then I had joy. Is that wrong? Oh, my God. But how can I be grateful during this terrible time? that you're allowed to have all of the emotions and that, yeah, you can live your biggest dream and you're still going to have hardships. There's not like you do this one thing and everything, or you do this one thing or this 20 step thing, or you drink the celery juice and you do the this and you do this and everything is going to be great. Do what works for you and it's going to evolve and you can do everything fucking right and you're still going to have hard days. And that doesn't mean anything about you. That's life. Yes. And it, it is such a capitalist perspective too, because I think many of us have been trained in the past 10, 20 plus years of like, offer somebody a formula. That's how you can make money. Like if you have a formulaic book, if you have formulaic courses, Jason and I have been down this path. Like we're the first to admit that we thought that that was the way that we should operate as business owners. And I think we still have some unraveling to do. And can, just like I was talking about conscious languaging, it's an ongoing thing for us to go back and look at our old courses and examine the things that we've said on social media, because I've done all of those things too. 
you know, and it's not about being this perfect leader all the time. It's, it's realizing that we too have work to do on ourselves and work to do with our languaging and our marketing and our positioning. And we're constantly experimenting and trying to figure out what works, what doesn't, what feels good, what doesn't. And going back to your statement, Trisha, about how it's so easy for people to feel bad when they try something and it doesn't work. It's like the dieting industry. I think back to myself when I was a teenager and trying to figure out my body. And not only did I feel awful about it, but I was like desperately trying all of these different products from diet foods to equipment, gym memberships, watching videos, buying the VHS tapes, DVDs, like all that stuff, constantly trying new things. And then it's like the makeup and the clothes and like on and on. Really, I didn't want to be doing any of that bullshit, but I felt like I had to because I never felt good enough. And if you really step back and examine it, it's just like getting us to spend more and more money. And then that's setting you up for your whole life. So if you don't become aware, that is the way your life is. I mean, we actually had a comment in one of our courses the other day that I was trying to figure out how to address. Because the other side of this, Trisha, that I'd love to hear your opinion on or your approach to, I should say, or I will say, good catch, good catch. <laughs> working on it, is what do you do and how do you handle somebody who says something without that same level of awareness that you have? Like, let's say someone comes on your podcast and they start getting into that like formulaic thing that certainly you can ask people not to talk about something but they might be in the habit and they get into it. Like, how do you steer them out of that with while being kind of, I mean, I would approach it gently. Maybe you don't have to be gentle. Or what about a student like or somebody on Instagram? For example, I didn't know how to handle this person the other day in one of our programs who was commenting about how she felt she should, emphasis on that word that she was using, how she should be exercising a certain amount and she was beating herself up for not doing a certain amount of exercise, right? And I I made some comment of like, you know, maybe you need to be gentle with yourself right now or maybe you could benefit from some rest and you can start over and do some more fitness in a few days or whatever. Perhaps it's time for a break. And she just was so attached to what she should be doing and she feels like she's lazy, right? And it was one of those moments where I thought, well, is my aim here to change her opinion? Because there was this moment of like almost wanting to get in a debate with her (laughs) about being more gentle and loving and not feeling like she should or shouldn't do something. But I couldn't figure out how to fully approach it once she pushed back on me again, because I didn't want to come across as some know-it-all coach that was trying to force her to see things my way. Yeah. I mean, my approach is always to be like that, to guide them back to them. And so if like, if she's saying I should be exercising, you know, then it could be looking at, well, why is it that you feel that way? Is that actually something, is it because you don't feel that you're enough? Or is that because the messaging that you've received your entire life? Like, why don't you look at why do you feel like you should be exercising more? And like, is that actually what your body wants? Or what if you tried giving yourself a rest and letting yourself like, So I try to not be like, I know what to do. I try to always guide people back to themselves. But yeah, even like she's like, no, I want this result or something. It could just be like, have you considered or, you know, trying to be gentle in that thing. But like, yeah, because people, some people are not used to 
again, she has probably no awareness of she wants to look a certain way or be a certain weight or whatever it is, which is all based on should conditionings. And she's not probably aware of that. And like, yeah, also, of course, we all like want to be, I'm sure, super. If it was like, let me press a button, like, yeah, I'll choose the I feel super fit and, you know, and I wear this and I can put on all clothes with these. Yeah, that sounds great. Like, let's all do that. <laughs> but it's like the reality of, okay, and I also want to enjoy my life and not just eat raw vegetables and exercise for 14 hours a day. So I'm going <laughs> to choose this. But and like, and also, you're probably not going to feel that great if that's what you're doing every day. But yeah, I try to just always guide people back to themselves and just seeing like, and you know, one good thing, especially when it's a should is like coming up is like, is this actually coming from you? Or is this like coming from, you know, messaging that you've been receiving your whole life? Like, how do you actually feel in your body? And what's making you feel that way? (laughs) Good God. (laughs) I I laugh because I'm realizing that so many of my motivations in my life have come from a, a feeling of not enoughness, like just blunt. This belief system that, yeah, if whatever, I have fucking abs and I have a certain number in my bank account and a certain car and blah, 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 then I'll finally be worthy of love. But really examining human psychology and how many people in the world not just myself, are motivated by some form of not enoughness, comparison, lack, limitation. And that's the thing, kind of the comment I made earlier about high achievers who, who came from some really substantive trauma in their childhood that are like, I'm going to be so rich and powerful and famous and wealthy and successful that I'll never get hurt again. Fuck you all. It's like a giant chip on their shoulder, right? To some degree. But it's like, I don't want to be motivated anymore by the chip on my shoulder I've had most of my life because I've had a huge chip on my shoulder, right? And I've had a huge sense of not enoughness from the trauma from my childhood that I've continued to work on. But in taking ownership of it, I realized that a lot of my desire for success, notoriety, striving, some of it, yes, has been to support people in their journey, help them eat healthier, help them with their depression, their mental health, all that. But a huge chunk of it was this I've got to be this thing to prove my worthiness to the world. If we're not motivated by that, how do we, I don't even know how to phrase this, retrain ourselves to be motivated by, I don't know, joy, service, generosity? Like, how do we begin to recondition ourselves? Because I find that for me, it is really fucking hard to let go of this thing that's motivated me for most of my life. Yeah. I mean, and you're not alone. Your situation. My, is definitely unique to you, but that's like, yeah, we're all being motivated by the feelings of not enoughness every day. I'm still like every day I have to call myself out on, oh, the Trisha, this is a version of you feeling like you're not enough. This is that. And that's why, you know, I was called out when you said like, oh, it'll magically go away. It doesn't like we're humans and we have wounds and we have stories and our minds are active. Like also our minds are, I think, built as like defense mechanisms, right? Like doubts, fears, worries. That stuff doesn't have to be labeled as negative. It's stuff that's there like to protect you. And you don't have to be afraid of them, but it's just like, oh, okay, I see you. All right, I see you. Doubt, fear, worry, I see you, stress. Like, okay. But you don't also have to buy into them. But so like being aware of what you're thinking and feeling and then assessing it. Do I need this? No. Okay, that's true. No. And so a lot of, again, should want stuff goes into in the book I will go into and that it's like looking at what is motivating your choices. And you said like, you know, a lot of the work that you want to do is because you do want to help people heal themselves. 
and support them. And maybe that originally started with from your not enoughness, but that doesn't mean that like you still can't serve people. And it's just looking at showing up and seeing that that's why you're motivated. Like, why did you want to record this podcast today? I know because you just really wanted to talk to me because I'm so awesome. But no, like, like, true, true, it's true. It is true. <laughs> but like looking at again, it's the looking at the why. So all really like in, in my book, I don't have a lot of like deep work. Like there's work in every chapter, but most of the work is questions to ask yourself because that's what it is. It's getting curious a lot about what am I doing? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? Why? What's motivating this choice? You know, I even talk about like, calling and I did a video on calling bullshit on being a good person. I call bullshit on <laughs> wanting to be a good person. Like how often are we like, "Oh yeah, I'll help you out. I'll send you this. I'll have you on my podcast because hopefully that means like they'll have me on their podcast." It's like, what are you doing because you truly want to and it feels good? And what are you doing because you're expecting something in return? And that expecting something in return could just be they like me. They think I'm a good person. That still can be a tricky, like slippery slope because then you're attached to some result. If I do this for them, if I say yes to this, then they will like me. And then you can get all in your head if they like don't send you a text message to say thank you or whatever it is, you know, like, so like being so aware of what you're doing and why, why do you want to do the podcast? Why do you want to create the courses? Because you want to support people. You want to heal them. And so then you show up for that want and that why, not the because I'm struggling with my enoughness and so I have to prove myself. And both can be true, but coming from the no, I'm here today because I want to make a difference. And even like people go to shitty jobs around, you know, the country, the world. We're lucky. We might be piecemealing money month by month or really successful, but there's people going to hourly jobs and they probably hate it. And so every day it feels like, ugh, but why? Oh, I want to go to work because you can be a checkout person at a store and you are still serving people. I want to go because I support people, because I help people get their groceries and feed their families. And that feels good. So whatever your job and your place in the world is, you can find joy in it and find a want in it. And if it's really terrible and you are forcing yourself every day to find a want and it's terrible, then looking at what else can I do and allowing yourself choices and changes. But everybody can choose like, I want to serve people. I want to show up. It brings me joy. And things can bring you joy, even if right now they're not. It could just, like I said, be pulling these layers away and looking at where you're stuck in comparison and not enoughness and all of that stuff that isn't even, other people might not be thinking about it. It's just you and your mind of I'm not enough because I work here, because I wear these clothes, because I'm twice the size of everyone else here, whatever it is. Like, how are you judging yourself is something to look at every single day because that is stealing your joy away from you for sure. I can go on a real long tangents and rants. I'm done now. It brings up an interesting kind of thing that I've been noticing this year as in 2020, the time we're recording this for context in case anyone's listening to this in the future, that I don't even know what the phrase would be called, but Whitney and I have talked about it, specific examples of what I would call joy shaming or celebration shaming, looking at, and I don't necessarily want, well, I'll get into the sub aspect of it too, that certain people online have been posting during this pandemic of like, we just bought this, you know, amazing new house, or I just got a brand new Porsche, or I, I got this new thing. It's this, whatever it is, celebrating something material success in their life. 
and digging into the comments that a lot of people are like, yeah, that's amazing. You know, we're so grateful for your success, but an equal amount of comments in some cases of like, dude, are you tone deaf? There's, you know, a hundred million people on unemployment, the economy's tanking. There are people waiting in bread lines and soup kitchens and the homeless numbers. Like, why would you post like this new house or this new Porsche or this new thing? And I don't know if joy shaming is the right terminology. I'm just labeling it as that because I don't know what the term is, but it's interesting to notice it that haters going to hate. I mean, always you're going to have people poo-pooing you no matter what online, but it seems that there's different permutations of it amidst the backdrop of the economic downturn and people struggling of like, how dare you celebrate this thing publicly? Don't you know how many people are struggling? Have you, Whitney, you and I have talked about it, but I'm curious, Trisha, if you've noticed that and well, both of your take on it, actually. I'm curious what you both think about this joy shaming that's been going on. Yeah, I haven't witnessed joy shaming, but probably because I don't dig into people's comments. <laughs> but <laughs> Smart. You're probably better off for not doing it, honestly. I get both sides and I'm always going to be for supporting, you know, like, yeah, I can get where that's a little tone deaf, but at the same time, sure, they probably work their butt off and they can afford that. And that's great. But what I would more promote and what I do more promote, and again, that's why it's part of New Daily Intention Connection Reflection Journal that I sent you that we mentioned early, earlier that like, so I have a place in this daily template that says daily wins and joys. So for us to always every day be looking at what's a win, what me brought me joy today. So like, yeah, the fact that you bought a Porsche or a new car, that's huge. Or I got a book deal, that's huge. But celebrating the daily wins in your joys in your life, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your income status is, where can you find joy every single day? And it can be like such small things like my kids actually ate their dinner. (laughs) My kids were occupied for 20 minutes today doing their own thing. And I got to read a book. I got a reply back from this person that said yes to being on my podcast. They're like, whatever. I listened to my favorite song. And so me putting the daily wins and joy in there is also with the hope that if you now are realizing that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to write a daily winner joy and that you're going through your days, reminding yourself to celebrate things, reminding yourself to find joy or to prioritize your joy. So I'm not for shaming anybody about what they're doing. And like, I, yeah, that can sure be tone deaf, but it's just instead of judging somebody else, then go celebrate something for yourself today. Maybe it's you saved $5 on something you've been wanting to order. That's a win. Oh, I love those small wins. I mean, even when you said about how great it is when someone says yes to being on your podcast, because like I get so excited when we have guests like you on here. And, and, and it truly is something to feel grateful for because it's time consuming to sit down and talk with someone in a while and you're giving your energy, your time and your knowledge and, and you're sharing so much and sometimes not, quote, getting much back from it. And I think all of those small things are important. And we talk about a lot how helpful it is just to feel grateful each day and that builds upon our joy. And going back to this shame side of things, I'm very sensitive to anything shame related because I've experienced a lot of shame in my life and wasn't even fully aware of that until recently. And so I get triggered when I see somebody who's publicly shaming. I mean, the cancel culture is incredibly challenging for me. But anything of like, hey, let's all jump on the bandwagon 
and shame somebody collectively. Let's embarrass them. Let's put them out there to and point out all of their flaws. Even if somebody is doing something that I don't agree with, like I just, I am very strongly against publicly shaming anyone. I think it's such an awful thing. And I have actually nightmares, dreams reoccurring about like doing something embarrassing because I have this deep fear of being publicly shamed, you know? So I notice it a lot. And and this reminds me on the this note of like shaming around joy. I don't know if I have seen too much of it, but one thing that comes to mind recently is there's this new trend I've seen on TikTok called eat the rich. And it's all about like shaming people for doing perceived rich things like people that don't perceive themselves as rich however you want to define that because it can certainly mean different things to different people but somebody who doesn't feel like they're rich like seeing somebody else who they do perceive as rich and they're like trying to shame them for that like oh i'm going to shame you cuz you have a car that i think only rich people have or i'm going to shame you cuz you did this or that and you bought this or you did this experience and i'm thinking like why are we at this point where we are are like judging people and and trying to embarrass them, put them down, drag them down because they've done something, they've bought something, they've gotten to a certain point in their life and I think ultimately the aim is like trying to make ourselves feel better by doing things like that, but it doesn't make our us feel that much better. Like I don't maybe I feel temporarily good if I see somebody I envy and something bad happens to them. Like, I think a lot of people, myself included, like, there's a moment of, like, oh, thank goodness their life isn't perfect. And thank goodness I see them as a human being and they're making a mistake. Like, there's this momentary pleasure that I felt. And I always feel guilty about that pleasure because why should I feel good that somebody else is feeling bad or experienced a hardship? that maybe they don't normally feel. Like I feel like that's such a twisted habit that's perpetuated right now and I'd love to see a lot less of it. Yeah. Well, I think you know, again this is where a big point of my like should versus what thing is like that like, should is usually we're looking outside of ourselves or like what will we look like to other people? What do people expect of us? And one is bringing us back to us. And it's also just like looking at our lives and like the people that are doing all of that shaming it's like they're choosing to spend more time thinking about what other people are doing than themselves. You know, it's like, let me distract myself from what I'm feeling by let me make fun of this person who it's like, really, I mean, sure, if they had all the money, then maybe they wouldn't have bought that car or that thing or two. But like, who cares? Who cares that that person worked their ass off or maybe they just inherited a bunch of money, but whatever, that's their life and they lucked out and let them do what they want. Like, why are you wasting your time that way? (laughs) But something I wanted to bring up because you were mentioning like shame and joy together and the joy shame. And it made me think about how often we don't allow ourselves to have joy about certain things or feel joy in things because this fear of what other people will think. Like that we allow ourselves even to steal joy from ourselves. It can be something as stupid as like liking a boy band when I was growing up, like, oh, that's not cool. So I'm not allowed to listen to it. Like, so that or like, oh, I'm not allowed to eat this food because we're so stuck in what we should be doing or what will everybody else think about ourselves that we like don't even allow ourselves to 
get joy from the things that do bring us joy. Because what will people think if they knew that that brings me joy? Like that's something that I just recently started to see in my own life in the last couple years. And I'm still noticing things of like, oh, I don't want people to know I watch this show. What will that mean about me? Like who the (laughs) fuck cares? Our guilty pleasures. Yeah. And like no guilt, like the guilty pleasures of food and watching. Like I'm so over that languaging, right? It's like, I like this. There's nothing wrong with that. Because again, though, that's the fear of being judged, the fear of not being enough. If people knew that I like this, that we're just constantly living in this fear of what other people will think. And so we're not allowing ourselves to experience joy. For sure. You know, it also reminds me of there is an evolution happening. And I do notice this on platforms like TikTok, which tend to skew towards a younger generation. They are actually on the plus side, a little bit less shameful. And I am often amused at what people post on that platform because it's such a, a place of freedom of expression and how people will admit to finding pleasure. In fact, <laughs> there's this hilarious trend on there right now. And it, <laughs> it's making me laugh so hard thinking about this. Jason, I don't think I've sent this to you because it's something like my sister and I, I know, can are always laughing over It's women talking about how they're doing, quote, hot girl shit. But in the video, they do the exact opposite of what they perceive as something a hot girl would do. And they're kind of admitting like the basic things that they find joy in, but that they would never normally admit to anyone like and they're often kind of grotesque, but like very amusing and relatable, like the one immediately off the top Oh my gosh, I feel like it's like such childish humor, but it's to your point, Trisha, why do we associate certain funny things as being childish, right? There's a one of these examples, a girl like examining the dandruff in her hair and like the amount of comments in that video of women like boldly saying, oh my gosh, I do this too, but I've never admitted it to anybody. And it was like all this bonding happening in the comment section of women being like, yes, I do that. And like, we don't associate, we think like hot girls amazing. don't do this. So amazing. It is amazing because it's like, wow, like what would happen if we felt more comfortable sharing these like, quote, shameful, embarrassing things that actually give us pleasure? And it might be something like picking a piece of dandruff out of your hair, which who would ever want to admit that? But then you go on this platform and you're like, oh, thousands of people are admitting that maybe it's okay that I find pleasure in this as grotesque as we've been conditioned to think of it. The other thing that I think is amazing is, and it's a little bit in like the marketing capitalist type of realm, but I still think is cool, is more and more on Instagram, I'm seeing women talking about their sexuality and promoting sex toys. And this is a relatively new thing on Instagram. I think they actually might be trying to crack down on it, but people are finding a way to publicly talk about the sex toys that they use. And that's, to me, something I haven't seen a ton of until like pretty fairly recently, the last few years, like women like talking about which toys they use and whatever, and proudly talking about their sexuality. And and that is pleasure, of course. And it's like opening up these conversations about women feeling proud of pleasure and not like hiding it away in their bedside table so that no one will ever know what they do on their own. 
Yeah, I think I love that. I love that girls are, yeah, people, the dandruff thing and like, <laughs> but just whatever it is, it's, yeah, when you see somebody else talking about it, then it somehow gives you permission to be like, oh, it's okay. Oh, you like that show too? Oh my God, you, like not even that you picked dandruff, you have dandruff too? Like, you know, like whatever it is. Oh, you've pleasured yourself too? That for some reason we feel so isolated and alone and that's what makes us feel like it's wrong or, you know, to do something or to like something or to be who we are. But so that's, you know, and that's why I try to be transparent about even just like that, feeling the feelings and all of these things that it's ridiculous to act like everything's all this one way. I think it's amazing that, yeah, that stuff is being shared. And that it's hopefully freeing up a lot of stuff in people that they didn't even know that they're like living in shame about. Absolutely. And I'll be sure to send you, Trisha, a link to that video and I'll put it in the show notes for this episode <laughs> because it's like basically a meme. If you just look it up uh, too, it, the meme is, I can't talk right now. I'm doing hot girl shit. But then the hot girl shit is them doing something like picking their dandruff. I love watching those type of videos. Is there like hot guy shit too? Can I take this somewhere? I have not seen it, Jason. So perhaps you can start a trend. I feel like hot guy shit would be like picking shit out of my belly button. Like excavating stuff out of my belly button would be hashtag hot guy shit. But girls do that too. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it could apply. It's, it's kind of gender neutral. Maybe um, looking for to see how much my hairline has receded. That's hot guy shit. That's hot guy shit or, or plucking random stray eyebrow hairs. Again, this is probably a gender neutral thing. I'm going to work on hashtag hot guy shit. I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you guys on this one. I feel like it needs to be born. But in all seriousness, this brings up something interesting for me in reflecting on like, I don't even know what this would be, stereotypes for, I guess, a macro category. Even though I recently crashed it, <laughs> I had my motorcycle for a while. And one comment that I would get from people, kind of by and by, was really interesting. And this came up regularly enough for me to kind of take inventory of it was some version of, you don't seem like the kind of guy who would ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and that would inspire a lot of curiosity for me. Like, what do you mean I'm not the type of guy that would seem <laughs> would ride a motorcycle? They're like, well, you know, you just, you seem kind of like effeminate and sensitive and some, whatever their answer was. And I'd be like, okay, uh, effeminate, sensitive guys can't ride motorcycle. It's just so interesting how certain ways of being when we are doing things that make us joyful can elicit different responses in people, you know? And for me, that's been a thing that I've kind of dealt with my whole life is I remember being young and ever since like maybe middle school, people thinking that I was gay. And I don't ever take offense to it. I've just found it fascinating that, oh, you're like a dude who likes cats and you like singing Queen and you like Freddie Mercury and you like show tunes and you did musical theater and all this stuff that, you know, whatever their thing is like equals gay. I'm like, nah, I, I like kittens and show tunes and Freddie Mercury. It doesn't mean I'm gay. And I also like shooting guns and motorcycles and fast cars, which you might classify that as whatever hetero. And I think that my ultimate point is I think there's a tremendous power in owning the shit that brings us joy, owning the shit that we like, and literally not giving a fuck how other people interpret it, right? And so I want to go on record and I want to start some hot guy shit and say I can snuggle with kittens on my motorcycles, shoot guns, smoke weed, do psychedelics, and drive in fast cars, and that's what I like, goddammit. 
I love that. All at the same time. All at the same fucking time. (laughs) But doesn't it make you feel better just saying those things out loud, Jason? I mean, I feel joy hearing you share that. Fuck yeah, it does. It's like claiming it, as you say, Trisha, like claim it. Like, this is who I am. You can think whatever the fuck you want about me. I am who I am. I'm not even sure who I am sometimes, but I know what I like and I'm going to celebrate what I like. Yeah. I mean, my favorite word is and. (laughs) It's like, yes, like you said, you can like kittens and motorcycles. And it's so, again, it's all like based on these should things like, right, we're programmed to believe this person does this, does this, so they should be gay. They should, they, if he likes this, he shouldn't like this. And yeah, and just owning it and claiming it. And something I learned a long time ago too is that, yeah, people might question you about, yeah, taking time off or riding a motorcycles or whatever the thing is. But again, with, with that judgment thing, right? It, like a judgment can over have power over you if it's something you believe to be true. If you're happy with your choices and if you're, then you're just like, if somebody's like, wait, and you ride motorcycles too, you could, if you, you know, you could go into self-doubt or what does that mean and be like, well, yeah, I do like this or whatever. And then that, then you're stuck in this weird energy of shame, or whatever. And then they are like, whatever. It's just like, yep, I do love cats. Also love motorcycles. And like, if you are owning your shit, then people don't have much room to, I mean, they sure can still judge you, but like it doesn't have as much power or effect or like hold over anybody else. Like when you're owning what brings you joy, when you're owning your life choices, when you're claiming it, like there's not much space for people to put their two cents in. Like they'll quickly realize, oh, okay, I guess. All right. I guess that's just who he is. And maybe they'll go gossip to somebody else. But again, like who the fuck cares? Again, like all of this transformation in my life and me going from being a sound engineer to giving up the shoulds and creating myself as a joyologist was because my father passed away very suddenly. And we really do not know what is going to happen tomorrow. And it's just so stupid that we're living our lives in such fear of what other people will think. Amen to that. And as we get, I think, close to the finish line of this episode, one thing that I want to talk about is this. <laughs> I have to laugh at it because. I had a conversation with two dear friends of mine who live in Philadelphia. We had a little FaceTime catch up and we were talking about sort of this desire to blame things outside of ourselves for our misery or our chaos. And in the middle of the FaceTime call, they held up the latest issue of Time Time Magazine. And on the cover, it said 2020, worst year ever. And I was laughing because I'm like, hmm, I probably think there are some people who were around in the Middle Ages during the Black Plague that may debate that notion about worst year ever. And it was interesting to me on two levels, right? It was interesting on one level of fucking 2020, fuck, fuck this year. It's been such shit. All this bad stuff happened. I had whatever our version of that is, right? There's been so much of like, it's your fault, 2020. Fuck you. And then the other kind of thing I gleaned from it was this comparative thing of worst year ever. Hmm, interesting. Like, without judging Time Magazine, it was interesting me to, to notice this kind of collective victim consciousness of blaming 2020 for all of this. It's not 2020's fucking fault. <laughs> and then the other side of it of like, yeah, this is the shittiest year ever. 2020 is going to be, 2021 is going to be so much better. We don't know that. So I I don't know that I have a question in this as much as it is sort of an observation as we get close to wrapping of 
what do you think this is about of people blaming 2020 for how shitty life is or or even thinking life is shitty? That's another side of it. It's like, I don't know, it could be shittier. <laughs> I for sure think it's fascinating because it, it sounds like it happens every year. I mean, I remember, Jason, when you and I were marketing our course, The Consistency Code, last year for the first time, we had that great meme or video, really, that you and I latched onto of the guy falling down the stairs and being okay. And we are using that as an example of like, was 2019 a hard year for you? You know, like, was this how bad your year was? And it's funny looking back on that now because we could use that exact same video to ask people, was 2020 this bad for you? You know, like you could say that about pretty much every year. Like it's it's a cliche thing. And I think our brains just forget. It's kind of like forgetting pain. And, and Trisha, maybe you can um, back this up. Like I've heard that you forget how painful giving birth is. Like the brain's designed to forget. Was that true for you? Do you remember? vividly <laughs> how painful that experience was. Yes. And especially because my first was so much more painful than my second. I had back labor with my first. And if you don't know anything about that, woo. So yeah, like, so that analogy doesn't necessarily work for me. I really remember how painful the first was. <laughs> um, but no, I do think it's 2020 did have circumstances that we haven't seen <laughs> for our, well, those of us, now, so I mean, I do get the like, I've been saying things in posts like what a year. So I don't really say like, fuck 2020 or 2020 is the worst. But I, I do mention like, what a year it's been. And it has. But yeah, you're right. Every year at the end of the year, people are like, oh, can't wait. <laughs> See, the new year next year is my year. And that is pretty <laughs> But plus the fact that we are saying 2020 is our year at the beginning of this year. We all thought that this was going to be the year, a great year. It's a whole new decade. Like, you know, and, and we had no idea what was in store for us a year ago, right? Before 2020 began. Yeah, I did even see something on Instagram like today of like somebody sharing like, I'm going to need to see something about 2021 first before I declare it as my year. Like it was sort of like making fun of that, like already like. I'm not going to go ahead and claim that as my year. I'm going to need to see some, like, whatever. And I was like, yeah. So I do think that's funny. I mean, even though, yeah, like 2020 definitely was a tough year for me, but it also was an amazing year in some ways. But yeah, like, it's really a strange, I think it's no matter how much it's affected you and your livelihood, and it really has, it's affected everyone in different ways. But I think for sure it's been a challenging year. So I don't think, blaming anything on a year because also that's also the power you know like mindset work of the power of choice and shoulds worth and wants and finding joy every day that like i definitely try to not be blaming anything else for how i'm feeling even like yeah i've had some this past weekend the last i don't even know have a couple days like some really like things erupted in my life like and it was like i was like let me just stay in bed all day like that sort of things in the last couple days that were tough, but also within even those days, there was still like moments of bliss or whatever. But anyway, oh, I was trying to reference like, yeah, I could blame someone like that happened because someone else said this or did this. So sure, I could blame it on them. But I mostly just come with the fact of, well, that's life. <laughs> you know, and like, and the opposite can be true, too. Yeah. And that's like, that's life. And like, 
the week that I was, my book deal was closing. And so like getting offers, which is like something I dreamed of forever. My life was also blowing up in different ways, like in bat, you know, and blowing up like bombs dropping, not like blowing up, like, look at me, I'm (laughs) making it. So, and I laughed at it and I was like, sort of like, why this week? Why this week? Like this dream is coming true. And at the same time, I was like, of course, why wouldn't it happen this week? Like a fucking course. It's life with the highs come lows back to the end. Like, so sure. A lot of us probably had a challenging, more challenging year in 2020. Doesn't mean the next year is going to be great. We're not owed anything. And that's why, again, I'm so intentional about celebrating daily wins, doing the joys, choosing once over shoulds, because we can't control a lot in life. There really is not. There's a lot of things that are going to happen to us, whether no matter how prepared we are, no matter how mindful we are, no matter how healthy we are, no matter how much money we have, shit's going to happen to us. So enjoy your fucking life in any way you can by choosing the once, by choosing to stop judging yourself, by allowing yourself to experience joy and not feeling shame for it. And making the choices you want to make and not what you think everybody else thinks you should be doing. There is some control in your life. You can't control everything. You're going to have upsets, but you can still have a lot of fucking joy at the same time. What a wonderful note to end on. And I I think it also ties back into this idea that we shouldn't feel shame if we felt joy in 2020. You know, it's like, to Jason's point, this whole fear of like, admitting when things are going well, when it feels like everybody else is struggling, you know, and knowing that it can be both at the same time is such an amazing message, Trisha. And thank you so much for reminding us like as the hosts of the show, but also reminding our listener of that as well. I think it's a wonderful thing to talk about, especially because your episode is coming out right on as we transition from 2020 to 2021. I mean, just keeping this in mind as we embark upon a new year and whatever that might bring for us. And for you, dear listener, if you've been with us this whole time, we want to direct you again to the show notes for this episode, which you can find at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Go to the podcast section. You can go find all of the lovely resources in the transcript for this episode with Trisha. We will have links to her Claim It podcast, her website featuring her incredible journal, all of her wonderful affirmation products I have on my desk right in front of me, literally. I don't even want to call it a to-do list because that would just diminish your creation. It's it's a I will list and a fuck yeah, I got this list, which I still use all the time, Trisha. I just absolutely treasure you as a friend, someone in the world that constantly inspires me with your work and just how real and human and vulnerable you always show up to be. So Thank you so much for just being with us, Trisha. This is this is absolutely one of our favorite episodes. I know I said our because I'm speaking for Whitney, but I'm going to hedge my bets and think it's one of our favorite episodes too. Am I right? I think you're right, Jason. I, I would agree. And not just because Trisha is still listening with us right now. <laughs> you don't agree because you feel like you should agree. <laughs> it's been so good having you, Trisha. Honestly, you're just, you are a ball of joy. I just can't wait to get my hands on this book. I'm so excited. I'm so thankful that you are releasing this into the world because uh, I want to get my damn hands on it. Do we really have to wait until 2022? Yeah, come on, Trisha. You know, that's how publishing works. It's going to go by so fast, though. I promise you. (laughs) Spring of 2022. But thank you both so, so much for having me. I, yeah. 
we don't even know each other in person too, too, too much, but I've always loved and treasured you both. And yeah, even, you know, like I love that you still are working together and I'm just so grateful to get to have this real conversation and talk to you both and keeping it real. Well, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us, dear listener. We hope you dive into all of Trisha's glorious work because it is so delightful and has helped my life in so many ways. So until next time, we will see you with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable real soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.